today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Some of the nicest, most sincere people that you will ever meet have lived their lives outside of a knowledge of God in their lives, and they will spend an eternity outside of the presence of God in their life. It's the place that the Bible calls hell, and it's a real and true place. God did not make it for mankind. He made it for Satan, for the beast, for the false prophet, and for all the demons that fell with him. But we're going to find out in a little while that if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then that is the destination. No matter how sweet and how kind, outside of Christ, there is no other hope. Have you ever met someone that is so nice they made you want to be a better person? Maybe you realized that they weren't even a Christian and it made you a little ashamed of your walk. Pastor David is reminding us that no amount of being nice or being a good person will get them to heaven. We are saved only by believing in Christ. Salvation isn't something that can be earned, no matter how hard we try. So instead of feeling down that we aren't as nice as they are, we should share the gospel with them. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 19 with today's edition of The Open Word. Remember when David brought the ark back from the Philistines? And it says he was out there and he was dancing, dancing, and he just had his ephod. He's just dancing down the streets and just having a great time. Why? Because he really didn't care about anybody else. It was between him and the Lord. And he just got so wrapped up in that. And so he goes home and, man, he's got this great time we have with the Lord today, Michael. And she says, you like totally embarrassed yourself and me too. You know what? There's going to come a time. We won't embarrass ourselves. We won't embarrass anybody else. It's just going to be full-on worship. Maybe you don't raise your hands right now, but I guarantee you, you will be then. You will be then. Okay. There's just no way about it. And everybody, I think, is going to have a perfect voice, perfect pitch at that point in time. So we'll all just blend together perfectly. It's going to be a great time. You and I can worship and praise the Lord, even right now in troubled times, in times that for us right now can be overwhelmingly dark. Uh, that Our life may be literally falling apart, but do you know that we can still praise God because we know that God is still on the throne. If your praise and if your worship is only based on how well your life is doing, then you are worshiping your situation. You're not worshiping God. I got a great check today. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whoa, I got a great bill in the mail. Man, oh, man, now what am I going to do? Do you worship your situation or do you worship God? You see, if God is true and he's on the throne and our trust is totally in him, then we can praise him even in those dark times. It's difficult, I know. Hey, I know it's difficult. I understand that. But the fact is, is when we get our heart and our mind focused, when we realize, you know what? Like Job said, though he slay me, 
yet shall I praise him. Yet shall I praise him. That's a mind that says, you know what? This stuff, it just doesn't matter. My God is still on the throne. He reigns supreme over all of his creation. David told us in Psalm 96, he says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that it's in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Beloved, that we can rejoice in. We need to be those people that when we come together, even in the heaviness of our heart, that we can still worship him. We can still enter into that praise. Why? Because we know he is still on his throne, because we know he is coming, and that he will be a judge of all unrighteousness, and he is a just and holy and righteous judge. And yet his mercy extends, yes, even to me. And that's something to praise him about. If David was able to write that, Even while his world was in the midst of all of these wars, his life was in the midst of all of these trials, how much more these words have to be true, not only for us today as we get closer, but particularly for that great day. The harlot has fallen. The harlot is done away with. And that's where we see four hallelujahs. The focus here, the focus of the worship, because of all that the wicked one had done, because So much of the suffering had happened in the world. It's now defeated. The word of God now has shown itself to be true and trustworthy. That God will do all that he says he'll do. The joy of eternity, not only for the heavenly beings, but for all of the faithful, all of the believers. Man, the joy of eternity now is coming before them. And here comes the bride. Here comes the bride, clothed in fine linen. She was waiting for her wedding date, and it's finally arrived. I don't know about you, but from what I understand, for brides, that gets to be a pretty exciting time. Well, it does for grooms too, but you know, for brides, look at that, the anticipation of it. And when we look here, can you imagine just the fullness of the joy that would have to be filling the air that day? Because again, that wedding supper is about to happen. All those that are there at that point in time, I believe that we'll be there. I believe that the church had been raptured early on that we're there, but we've been waiting for that time. We've been anticipating that time. And now others that are there, The wedding time has come. Think of the most beautiful of wedding ceremonies that you have ever seen or heard of. And you think of the anticipation, the fullness of the joy that just fills the air at that point in time. Think of the end of that ceremony as they pronounce, I now pronounce you man and wife. You may now kiss your bride. I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. And the groom takes his bride and they march down that aisle. The joy. I mean, just the full of joy, full of just anticipation with all of that. Let me ask you, do you anticipate this day? I mean, really and truly, do you anticipate that wedding day of the bride, of the lamb, that marriage supper of the Lamb. What a day that shall be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace.
when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. That's ours. That awaits us. Do we live in anticipation of that? Or is it just kind of like, well, yeah, it's out there. I think we need to be those that live in anticipation. Because, beloved, it's going to get darker before it gets brighter. Some might say, well, that's kind of a negative confession. No, that's a true confession, okay? It's a real confession, okay? John is excited about this. As a matter of fact, you might say he's a bit overwhelmed. And I think all of us would be if we were there. Look what happens in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, And I, speaking of John, I fell at his feet to worship him. And this is an angel. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I feel that John was probably just absolutely overwhelmed at this point. And just the beauty, the majesty, just the spiritual power that was going on there at that point. John would have known that it wasn't right for him to worship an angel. I understand that. But I believe, again, that the magnitude of that situation just swept over him. And you know what? It's going to happen to him again in Revelation 22, just a couple of chapters from now. In verses 8 and 9, we read, Now I, John, saw and I heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he says to me, See that you don't do that, for I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. And he tells him again, no, worship God. It's not angels that we worship. It's not worship that we worship. It's God whom we worship. We can be overwhelmed at times, but make sure that your overwhelmingness is toward God, not just simply toward the emotion of a moment, okay? I think it's really interesting how quick the angels are here to correct John. They see the fulfillment of Lucifer's rebellion here. They see what's happening here. And because of his desire to be worshipped, they don't want anything to do with that. And so in both of these situations, he's, whoa, 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 not, no, 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 do not worship me. You worship God. You worship God. Don't even go there. The reminder also given to John that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's just pretty much a simple declaration that the overall purpose, the overall spirit of all prophecy is to bring attention to the promises and to the reality of Jesus himself from the very beginning all the way through. Some have even brought out that the very purpose we've seen, that the very purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to a knowledge of Jesus. Jesus himself proclaimed in John chapter 16 that when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me. In other words, Jesus is saying, even the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So in reality, gang, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And again, our focus in reality there. Eternity declares this. It's all focused on Christ, the one who's going to be crowned with glory, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, for him as king of kings, as lord of lords. And that's what we see coming next. Suddenly the heavens are opened up, and John writes in verse 11, he says, and now I saw heaven opened. 
And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. You realize, of course, that this is not baby Jesus, meek and mild at this point in time. Neither is this humble Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the young colt. No, not even that. No, this is victorious, reigning, ruling warrior Jesus coming in on the scene. This is the one that's going to come in. And again, we saw a very small taste of this when he went through the temple and he cleaned up the money changers and the crooks and the charlatans that were in the temple. No, that was just, boy, that was just minuscule compared to what we're going to see here when he comes riding on that white horse. And again, those eyes like fire of flames. Verse 13 says that he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. These are overwhelmingly powerful words of war. This is a warrior who is coming in to take charge. Jude quotes Enoch when he writes, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment to all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. So he says ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. He says that quite a bit because, again, that's where the conviction is coming. All those who are ungodly... You know the ones who are ungodly, folks? The ones who are ungodly are the ones who are not godly. I know it sounds simple, but the problem is, if they are not godly, guess what? They are ungodly. There's only two choices, to serve God or to serve Satan. He says, but I don't serve Satan. My dear Aunt Whatever. She, she doesn't serve Satan. The unfortunate reality is, is if she does not know Jesus, who is her father? Jesus says Satan is her father at that point in time. That's the reality of the gospel. If you don't serve Christ, there's only one other that you have. He said, yeah, but I, I steer my own ship. I'm captain of my own boat and I make my own choices. You're being deceived by the enemy. And some of the nicest, most sincere people that you will ever meet have lived their lives outside of a knowledge of God in their lives. And they will spend an eternity outside of the presence of God in their life. It's the place that the Bible calls hell. And it's a real and true place. God did not make it for mankind. He made it for Satan, for the beast, for the false prophet, and for all the demons that fell with him. But we're going to find out in a little while that if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then that is the destination. No matter how sweet and how kind, outside of Christ, there is no other hope. There seems to be a debate here on who is riding with the Lord when it says that the armies of heaven come in. Clothed with fine linen, white and clean. Well, didn't we just read 
that the bride was clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So you would think, well, that would pretty well make sense on it. And didn't Jude just say that Enoch said, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. That would seem to make it pretty clear. But then in Matthew, Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Paul in 2 Thessalonians speaks of a time of Jesus coming, and this is separate from the one in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says, in a moment in twinkling eye, the Lord shall descend, and we which are alive and remain. This is separate from this. This is now in 2 Thessalonians. Paul tells us there in 2 Thessalonians that he speaks about when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Well, for me personally, when I look here in Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, when it speaks of the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses, I personally feel this is an angelic host and they are warring angels because there is yet still a huge spiritual battle that's going to be taking place here. And I see this in that way. Is it a mountain I'll die on? No, but I think I'm right. But let's move on. The final end of the age is coming. You got to understand that. The beginning of the millennial reign, though, is right at hand. So the end of this age, the beginning of that thousand-year reign of Christ is coming. But before that reign begins there has to be first this great battle. You remember back in chapter 16, we read about the spirits of these demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them into the battle of what? That great day of God Almighty. Then in verse 16 of chapter 16, says that they gathered together in a place called in the Hebrew Armageddon. Okay. Now, we never read from there that a battle ever took place. They were gathered there at that point, just ready for it. And I believe that here in Revelation 19, we see the battle beginning and then ending rather abruptly. The battle doesn't go for very long. Listen to what it says here in 19, beginning in verse 17. John writes, he says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. But in verse 20 it says, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Elsewhere, we read about a battle that the blood comes as high as the horse's bridles. I believe this is the very battle that they're speaking about. 
I don't always get to listen to all of David Jeremiah on Grace 91.1 FM, local station, but I just happened to hear a little bit of it today. He was actually speaking on this passage. He says in chapter 19, there are two great suppers. One is the supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast of the Lamb. The other supper you don't want to be at. The other supper you just don't want to be at. This is the scene that we read about. Because in that second supper, you are the meal, okay? Keep your place here, but go back with me to the book of Ezekiel, if you would, in the Old Testament. This is the same thing that Ezekiel is writing about here in Ezekiel chapter 39. 38 and 39 actually draws them both. I believe that 38, speaking of Gog, the prince of Rosh, and Meshach, and Tubal, bringing all of these countries down together, I believe that these are the kings and the countries that we read about in chapter 16, that these demons lead these kings to come against Israel, meeting there in Armageddon. Then we read all about that, the judgment of God against Gog because they're coming against the land of Israel. Now we get down to chapter 39 of Ezekiel, and let me just read through this for you. But you, son of man, speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, he says, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, Gog, the prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal. Now he's already said that two or three other times already from the beginning of chapter 38. But he goes on. He says, I will turn you around and lead you on and bringing you up from the far north and bringing you against the mountains of Israel. That's the valley of Armageddon. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. They don't even get a chance to go into war. And you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all of your troops and the people who are with you. And listen to what he says. And I will give you to birds of prey for of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. And you shall fall on the open field for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord." So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am Jehovah, the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and they will set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, the javelins and the spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place that is in Israel, the valley of which who pass by east of the sea and will obstruct travelers, because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. And for seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Seven months to bury the amount of people who will be destroyed at that battle. That is a long time of burying people.
letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make-